we are, we are going to get into the Word today. In fact, if you wouldn't mind, turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 6. We are going to come to that in just a, a moment. But we are officially seven days, one full week as of today, into our 23-day, what we're calling our simple start for 2023. This is, this is 23 days com- committed to fueling our year with fasting, with unplugging, with examining our day with God every day, and with taking some time to to practice something called Lectio Divina, where we are praying through Scripture. Specifically, we're praying through the Lord's Prayer, the greatest sermon that was ever preached by Jesus himself. And uh, really, over the last month, we've been talking about these four practices of fasting, unplugging, examining our day, and also Lectio Divina. Uh, But today, though, I want to talk to you as we're a week into our 23-day simple start. I want to talk to you about a spiritual practice that ties all of our practices together, and that is the discipline and the practice of prayer. We've got to talk about prayer. If you're going to tell people, hey, fast for 23 days so that you can increase in your prayer life and and unplug so that you can pray, if you're going to tell people to examine their life, which is a function of prayer, and to pray through Scripture, we should probably take a Sunday and talk about prayer. So we are going to do that today. Now, just by way of making sure we're all on the same page, I want you to know what prayer actually is. Webster's Dictionary defines prayer as an address, maybe like a petition to God or to a God in word or thought. And just so you know, that's the Webster's Dictionary. We would understand that when we pray, we're praying to the one true God. Uh, But when the world prays, you know, it's not just Christians who pray, they're praying to to their God. Now, we're not going to get into all of that, but we know who we are praying to. This is the dictionary definition of the idea of prayer. Prayer can also be defined as a set order of words used in praying and an earnest request or wish. Simply put, I think we would say that prayer is the act of talking to God. If you want to come up with just the most basic definition of prayer, prayer is the act of talking to God. Prayer enables us to do things like declare faith, confess sins, submit to and agree with God's will, dedicate our lives to partnership with God, praise and thank God, present our needs and requests to him, ask for wisdom and guidance, ask God to bless others, engage in spiritual warfare, enjoy God's presence, and listen to God. So, you know, not much. I mean, prayer is really robust. Think about the people that you have regular conversations with. Do you only ever do one thing in conversation with that person? Could you imagine if the only conversation I ever had with my wife of 19 years was uh, if if I only ever said to her, good morning, Sharon, I love you, here is my grocery list for the day. Of course not. Sharon and I talk about all kinds of things. And a good portion, because I'm a good husband, a good portion of my talking with Sharon also includes listening to Sharon. Right, babe? (laughs) Now, I do want to give a point of clarity about prayer. I think if we're going to really get into the weeds of what prayer actually is, I would say that we have to make the argument that prayer is not actually a two-way street uh, when we say that prayer is talking to God. The the, the function of, of the moments when we're not talking to God, we are listening. And it's our listening that is a function of prayer. And the reason I'm getting kind of picky about this is because I want you to understand that when God speaks back to us, we don't call what God is doing prayer. Like God doesn't pray to you. You pray to God because he's the higher power, right? So when God is speaking back to us, we might call that something like revelation or illumination. He's, He's telling us something. He's giving us direction. Our listening is prayer. His speaking is being God. It's directive or comforting or loving or inspiring or revelatory for us. And so we are in a two-way conversation with God, but when we're talking about prayer specifically, our side of the conversation, both our talking and our listening, is called prayer. 
And so that said, I, I uh, have said many times during our 23-day simple start and the build-up to it that this is designed to position us to lead into increased seasons of prayer. Our hope is that over the last seven days and really over the rest of the, the time that we're fasting and really over the rest of this year, that we would increase the amount that we are talking to and listening to God. But again, it would be important if we know how to actually do that. Thankfully, Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, has given us examples and teachings and, and, and lessons on how we should pray. And so today in Matthew chapter 6, I would like us to take a few moments to talk through, to look at the way Jesus teaches us to pray. Now, just for your context, if you're joining along with us in our daily Lectio reading, uh, this passage of scripture that I'm going to teach from today is actually broken up into two of our daily readings, and you're going to pray through these passages of scripture on Thursday and Friday of this week. And the second portion of this scripture that we'll pray together on Friday is actually a passage that you're probably familiar with, known as the Lord's Prayer. And so it begins in verse 5, what I'd like for us to focus on today. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13 are our focus today. And Jesus says this, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. This is super encouraging already, isn't it? Uh, he says, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. And then here comes the next section of this teaching of Jesus. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some translations will actually exclude this last bit of the verse, but I love to include it. I have reason to think that it should be included. Uh, and so the verse ends by after saying, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It then goes on to say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the Lord's Prayer after a two-part teaching that Jesus offers us um, on prayer. And so today, I want, since we're talking about prayer and we're leaning into prayer in our fasting time and our 23-day simple start, I have three observations that I want to share with you today briefly, and then, I say briefly, I think you've, you've been around. Um, I'll make it as brief as I can. Uh, and then we're going to walk actually through the way Jesus modeled this prayer for us. And so the first thing, the first observation that I want you to notice with me today is that Jesus teaches us that prayer is not a show. In verses 5 and 6, this is where I want us to focus for just a moment. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus makes an assumption about you. He noticed that he doesn't say if you choose to pray. He says when you pray. The very first thing that we have to understand is that Jesus assumes you are a person who prays. In fact, Matthew Henry in his commentary on this passage, uh, he, he says this, It is taken for granted that all who are disciples of Christ pray. You may just as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. If prayerless, then graceless. I mean, that's a mic drop statement in the middle of a weighty biblical commentary. 
N notice the, notice the, the thing that he says here. Uh, you'll just as soon find a living person who doesn't breathe as a living Christian who doesn't pray. What's the implication? If you don't pray, you're not a living Christian. Ouch. I hope you're alive today. Jesus is not teaching us, though, that we should pray. He's addressing a religious practice that was common in his day, the way people prayed. That's what he's coming after. It's actually interesting. We live in a world now where prayer has kind of fallen off. But, but in Jesus' day, he was saying, you guys pray all the time, just you're doing it wrong. And for us, I think we actually need to be reminded that Jesus didn't say, if you pray, as if it's some kind of invitation to only the super-Christians. I think if Jesus were to show up to our church and ask, how often do you pray? And if we were to be honest with him, he would probably tell us a very different lesson here. And I think it would start by saying, would you focus on the fact that I said, when you pray? And so right off the bat, the first thing that I have to come back to the Lord and say is, God, I confess to you that there are days that go by that I'm not thinking about prayer as much as I should be. I shouldn't need a nudge from the Holy Spirit that when my, my friend says that he's got some physical ailment in his body that I, need a, uh, that I should pray for him. It should just be right there all the time. I should just be, as, as it does say in Scripture, praying without ceasing. Right? I should be praying constantly, never stopping my prayer. But again, Jesus is actually in this moment talking about something a little bit different. He's making the assumption that these people pray, and he says, when you pray, though, there is something wrong about your motives in the way that you are praying. And, and so then, again, he, he says what his actual point is. He, he says, you must not be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite is a person who says or acts like they are one thing in public, which is not actually the reality of who they are. Don't be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners. For what purpose? To be seen by people. He says, truly I tell you they have their reward. Jesus is calling out a practice of religious people in his day of putting on a show with their prayer. They wanted people to see how good they were at doing religion. Because they thought somehow that if they could pray in public in an impressive way, that they would gain honor from the people around them. Especially in the Jewish culture in that day, there was this thing that now scholars refer to as the honor-shame game. You can see Jesus engaging in the honor-shame game with Pharisees quite a bit. Uh, but the way that the Jewish culture was designed is that you wanted to get honor. And if you got honor, it was almost like if you were playing, uh, we, for some reason I've been talking about that game Sims a lot in our family recently. And, you know, in that game you want like life points and, and all that kind of stuff. It's almost as if your entire purpose in life is to gain points by getting other people to honor you. And they honor you culturally if you do something that they think or perceive that God would agree with or like. And if you do it better than anyone else, you get more honor points. So Jesus is calling these people hypocrites because uh, prayer is meant to be the act of placing our focus on God in conversation. And these people were actually using prayer to get attention for themselves while, while looking like they were doing something righteous. They were hypocrites. They wanted to be rewarded by human attention and by human honor. And Jesus says, oh, that's exactly what they'll get. And it's all that they'll get. They'll get their reward. They'll get what they wanted. What they wanted wasn't even the thing they're praying about. What they wanted was to be recognized as good religious people by all the people around them. And they'll get that, and that's the reward they really want. That's the reward they will get, but I can't give them anything else. We have to remember prayer is not a show, and God will not honor those who attempt to steal honor from him. Then Jesus, thankfully, because he's a good teacher, tells us how we should pray instead. Instead of putting on a show, he says, but when you pray, this is verse 6, when you pray, go into a private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is reminding us that God is both audience and authority of our prayer. He's the audience. Now, for clarity, Jesus doesn't mean you can never pray in a public place. I did it today. It, like, since you walked in the room, I did it in public. If Jesus was saying never pray in public, we're in trouble. 
What Jesus is not saying, only ever pray in, a, in your prayer closet. He's, he's going to this extreme example to say, when you pray, remember that your audience is God, not the people around you. Now, when I pray in public, you're not the person I was praying to. If you heard me pray, you can agree with me. And oftentimes, I will pray in public so that you can agree with me. But I'm not praying to you. And for the record, if you're praying to God, it doesn't even matter if the people around you do agree with you. So long as you're praying the word. There's, a, there's maybe another side point and probably a different sermon about how if somebody around you prays and you're praying something wonky and they don't agree with you, let them correct you. Like, be teachable. But that's not this sermon. We're just going to make the assumption that when we pray, we always pray God's perfect will because we're good people. Don't nudge the person sitting next to you right now. <laughs> so, but do remember that Jesus is countering the practice of praying to gain honor, to gain attention. And so he's saying, look, if this is your issue, if you're wrapped up in the way other people think about you as a, as a good person or a good Christian, then maybe stop trying to get other people's attention and just get alone with God and talk with him and remember that this is a conversation you're having with him. Prayer is our side of the conversation that we're having with God. It can be overheard, but those who hear are not the audience of our prayer. So Jesus is not telling us you can only pray in a private room. Have we made that abundantly clear? Okay. Maybe Jesus is teaching us to be sure that our prayers are always directed to God alone, because he is the audience and he is the authority. Now, I don't know if you would have ever done this or seen it happen, but I just I seem to remember that it would happen like a lot when I was in youth group, where you'd get like a prayer circle. Uh, prayer circles in youth groups are the things that always start where everybody like, I don't know if we still do it post-COVID, but like you used to like hold hands. Um, and then the youth group prayer circle would be like, the, there's two things that you're required to do when you're done praying. If you've ever been in a youth group prayer circle, you already know what they are. When you're done praying, you squeeze the hand of the person next to you, light, just a light squeeze, and then, and then what do you do next? I don't know why, clap. I have no idea why. It's not a spiritual practice. I just remember being in a lot of those prayer circles where you would squeeze the hand and then clap. It's like, amen. I no clue why we did it. <laughs> but another thing that I noticed that would happen a lot in these prayer circles is we would pray just so that the other, so that like my friends would know what I'm praying about? Have you ever seen somebody pray and in their prayer, they're not actually talking to God anymore? It's like the equivalent of a Facebook post where you go, I've had a really rough day and the only reason you posted that is that someone will post on your comment or comment on your post saying, well, what's wrong? What happened? And you don't even really want to tell them because then you go, well, DM me and I'll tell you in private or whatever. Right? It's, the, it's the equivalent of going, dear Lord, I know you know that I've just had a really rough week, and I don't want to really talk about it, but it's just been hard to be me this week. And I feel so lonely. I just wish the people around me would ask me how I'm doing. Amen. <laughs> it's, it's really just a function of immaturity. Yeah. And, and grace and peace in the middle of that. The grace is that we get to grow and mature. The peace is that maybe you could have some peace knowing that God sees you. And that he's actually the audience and authority of prayer. We need to be really careful when we pray in ways that other people can hear us, that we're not actually praying a manipulative attempt at getting the people around us to feel sorry for us or do something for us. Right? Remember, God is the audience, and God is the authority of our prayer. God can certainly put on somebody's heart for, to, to become the answer to, to a prayer. But I shouldn't use prayer to make you feel bad for me so that you will bless me. Yeah? Because God is the audience and God is the authority of our prayer. What is the point here? 
Prayer is not a show. The next thing that we hear from Jesus is that prayer is not a speech. Verses 7 through 8 say this, When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask. So Jesus now turns his attention from those who use prayer to impress people to those who use prayer to try to impress God. And so these are the people who thought if they use enough impressive words, then God would hear them, and they could twist God's arm into, like, obeying their will, right? Which reminds me of um, when I was in high school, my freshman year in high school, we used to have to take this speech class, and so I took this speech class, and one of the things that we had to do was give a persuasive speech, and uh, I gave a persuasive speech as a, a, a poor punk rock kid who needed a new pair of Converse. And so the title of my persuasive speech was Why You Should Pay for Tim to Get a New Pair of Converse. It was a very long title, but I mean, it's on the nose. And I gave this persuasive speech. It was like five or ten minutes or whatever. And I got a really good grade on that speech in class. And I also brought a prop with me because this was a speech that I was intending to give for the rest of the day. And so the prop was a Converse box from my old pair that I was wearing that day intentionally that had a hole in them so that everyone could see how great my need was. And on the front of the Converse box, I put the title of my speech. You should pay to help Tim get a new pair of Converse. And on the top of the Converse box with the lid, I put a, a hole like a piggy bank. And I carried that box around with me all day, generously and graciously accepting donations to the cause. And I went to everybody, Marcus, I went to everybody and told them all the reasons why they should donate. And I became that guy for a full day in high school that was so annoying that I'm convinced that some of these kids gave their lunch money just to get me to shut up, which is fine with me. That's a buck 50 to Converse. And by seventh period that day, I went into Mrs. Chalfont's math class. And she had heard Tim's going around getting donations. And this sweet lady wrote me a check for the last $10 that I needed. And I should probably be more embarrassed by that story than I am. <laughs> But when Jesus says this, it reminds me of that story. Because there are some people who do a little bit of what I did that day to God. God, let me bring my need to you, and I'm, I'm just going to convince you all the reasons why you need to do exactly what I want you to do, exactly the way I want you to do it, and in exactly the time that I want you to do it. In fact, I've got a color picked out. Hardest blue mini Cooper. <laughs> Some of you who've been at Life Church a while know my go to illustration is that I want a mini Cooper. I know exactly what color I want, and I have had to just learn patience because I don't need it, I want it. <laughs> but these are the things that we do with God. I know I'm giving you silly illustrations, but we do this with God. We have to remember that God is not just sitting in heaven waiting for us to pick up the phone and impress him and convince him and offer him persuasive speech for why he should give us the thing that we want. Now, again, it is important to bring clarity to this point because this also is nuanced, like our last point. Jesus is not saying that you should only ever pray short prayers and you should only ever pray that prayer one time and then move on with your life. He's not saying that. He's drawing a line between prayers that trust God and prayers that try to twist God's arm. 
And he told a parable in Luke chapter 18. It's recorded about this very thing. In Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1, it says, Now he told them a parable of the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people, and a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Notice, kept coming and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, <laughs> I love the way Jesus, like he was really, like he knew who he was. I don't fear God and I don't respect people. Even though that's true about me, he says, yet, verse 5, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. In verse 6, then Jesus is done telling a story. He says, um, he says then, then the Lord says, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? See, there is a difference between prayers of persuasion and prayers of persistence. And Jesus is inviting us Teaching us to pray prayers of persistence, but be careful not to cross the line into attempts to persuade God. We are the lower party in our prayer conversation. God is always the one who is not only the audience, but remember the authority in our prayer conversations. So Jesus tells us, pray persistently, pray often, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on telling God what you need, keep on bringing your needs to God until you get an answer. But be careful not to tell God what he needs to do for you. Not to use so many words thinking that you can impress God and convince him, well, man, you're such a good Christian, I guess I have to do. who are not invited to persuade God to obey our will. Jesus invites us to remember that a key element of prayer is trust. We trust you, God. We bring you these things because we trust you. Which means when we're done praying, we're going to release them into your care. He said, don't be like these people. Because your Father knows the things you need before you even ask them. Which is not Jesus saying, so you might as well not even ask. He's saying, when you come to me, I value the conversation we get to have. But I love it and I'm honored by your heart when you leave your trust with me as well. And don't try to convince me. I already know what you were going to say, but it matters to me because we have relationship that you say it. But then would you also continue in prayer by listening to how I respond? And if the way I respond isn't the way that you asked me to respond, do you trust me enough to not persuade me, to try to, to, try to persuade me to say something different? Will you trust me? So we don't need to make speeches to twist God's arm and instead be persistent in submitting your needs to God. You can use as many words as you need to use but don't use more than you need to use to try to impress. So prayer is not a show. Prayer is not a speech. The third thing that I want to say to you today is an observation that doesn't come directly from something Jesus says, but it is uh, something observed throughout church history. We have to understand that prayer is not just a script. Or maybe better said, prayer is not an empty script. After offering the warnings of how not to pray, Jesus then gives us a clue of how he should pray, right? He goes into saying, now this is how you should pray. That's called the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer is a scripted prayer. Let's just let's get that out there. It is a scripted prayer. It's right, right here in the Bible. And throughout church history, people have taken this scripted prayer and prayed it. In fact, if you've ever heard of a practice called praying the hours, there's a, an ancient practice in the church where people would pray the hours, throughout church, and, and a lot of people who, who do what's called praying the hours, they start in the beginning of their day by praying the Lord's Prayer. In the middle of their day, they then pause, maybe over their lunch break, or sometime in the middle of the day, they then pray for the lost in the world, those who are far from God and those who are in need. And then they end their day after doing a, an examine practice like we're doing during this 23-day simple start, and they pray prayers of gratitude. 
But they begin their day by praying the Lord's Prayer. So this is a scripted, a written, or maybe you've heard the term, a liturgical prayer. But the point that Jesus is making in in his teachings about prayer and the point that we need to understand is that prayer is not an empty script. It can be scripted, but it must never be empty. Meaning you just recite the words devoid of meaning. Prayer is not simply reciting words in order to fulfill a religious obligation. Prayer is offering our lives to God through words and also through listening. I think that there's some incredible written prayers throughout history that help us do exactly that. To, 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 give, uh, to, to recite a written prayer is to use somebody else's gift of words for you that express your desire and need to God. And you say, God, I'm going to make those words my desire because they express my desire. Again, the same way that you hear a poem or hear a song and you go, man, that communicates what's on my heart. And so you turn that into a personal prayer. We do the same thing as today as we said, let's sing that song again, but make it your personal prayer. It's like a written or liturgical practice. So the Lord's Prayer just happens to be, of all the written prayers, the best. The best one. In fact, I was geeking out about this um, just yesterday with Sharon. Now, let me just say something that I think is, to a certain degree, I'm risking speculation. I don't love to do this. This is one of those moments where Tim is going to tell you something that he thinks he's right about. But if I turn out that this is, if it turns out that what I'm about to tell you is just a wild coincidence, um, I'm just blown away by that, even. Let me explain to you what I mean. Okay. Are you aware that numbers in Hebrew culture, to the Jewish people, numbers carried meaning? Right? Like the number six represents the works of man. The number seven is the day that God rested, for example, after creation. The number seven represents completion. The number 50 represents the beginning of a new season. The number 70 represents the completion of the natural order or a full lifespan. So if you were 70 years old, the, in Jewish culture, you were said to have lived a full life. I think you're allowed to live more than 70 years, but just, you know, that's. <laughs> In fact, uh, speaking of the number 70, 70, for just for example, carried significance uh, for the Jewish people in a lot of ways. According to Jewish tradition, there are 70 sons of Abraham, 70 languages spoken after the destruction of the Tower of Babel, 70 elders were assembled by Moses on God's command in the desert. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 11. 70 names to the holy city of Jerusalem, which David uh, nailed down 70 names for the holy city of Jerusalem. There were 70 Jewish holidays every year, 70 years of the Babylonian exile, 70 years after the destruction of the first temple until the second temple's construction began in Jerusalem. Jerusalem in 70 years is considered to be a generation of human life, which it says that in Psalm chapter 70. In fact, uh, Dr. Elena Yale Heideman, who's a Jewish scholar, uh, she writes that to the Jewish people, 70 is opportunity, 70 is potential, 70 represents completion, wholeness, the real thing. So they would, when they're reading scripture and they see something happen 70 times or the number 70, they know, oh, that's, that's usually associated in scripture every single time associated with something of the completion of the natural order of man. Or these distinct seasons, like the 70 years of Babylonian exile, it took 70 years to, to weed out the sin that got you into this situation in the first place. So does anyone want to guess in the original language that Jesus spoke the Lord's Prayer in, how many words are in the Lord's Prayer? Seventy. Now, this could be a wild coincidence. But I just, I just don't know that God does coincidence. I think in the Word, I think everything is on purpose. And it just struck me yesterday as I was talking to Sharon. And forgive me if I'm just a geek for a second. But it struck me that after Jesus spent time telling us not to have empty, vain 
repetitious prayers that are just designed to impress God and impress people. That our brains think, oh, okay, well then throw all the rules out the window. Especially us Pentecostals. We'll just throw all the rules out the window. Prayer's got to be spontaneous all the time. And Jesus' response was, pray this prayer. And my prayer that I offer you is so perfect. It covers, listen to this, 70, which addresses like the natural order of man, like the completion, the perfection of the natural order of man and all that kind of stuff, right? He goes, let me offer you a prayer that covers all of your needs. It's like a complete prayer. There is not a prayer written that covers all of your needs the way the Lord's Prayer does better. And I could just be geeking out about this. I could just be the guy taking time out of a sermon to talk to you about a coincidence in Scripture. But what if Jesus is so intentional that, that he gave you a written prayer that if you would pray it, it would actually cover all of your needs, and he even designed it perfectly. Like a poet would design every line of a poem so that it, like even all of the hooks and all of the, the, the pauses and the breaks, that it begins perfectly as it, as, it, as it ends perfectly, coming full circle, and that everything is covered and leaves nothing out. And I just absolutely believe that Jesus is that good of a teacher. It's 100% absolutely believe that he is that good of a teacher, that he, he would have done all of that intentionally. Now, if it, finds, if it turns out that I'm a little bit wrong and Jesus would actually look at me and go, wow, what a wild coincidence you noticed. <laughs> Fine, we'll have a good chuckle about it. But to me, I saw that and I went, oh my goodness, my God is so incredible, so detail-oriented to give us a prayer that is scripted and covers all of the bases. And so the last thing that I want to do today as I invite you into a practice for the rest of the week and maybe for the rest of our fast and maybe for the rest of your lives is to give us an opportunity to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, in order to do that, I want to unpack it for just a moment. We're not going to take a long time to do this before we get into prayer. Um, but I want us to listen to the Lord's Prayer. Then I'm going to unpack it briefly, and then we're going to pray. All right? Listen again to the Lord's Prayer. I'm reading this to you out of the CSB. It says, Jesus taught us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. You can interchange the word sin with debts. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now again, we, we pray the Lord's Prayer not as a script. If you're going to join in praying the Lord's Prayer, Jesus has gifted you not just empty words to recite, but he's gifted you an invitation into deeper prayer at every single point in this prayer. And so listen again to the Lord's Prayer as we pause then to reflect on the meaning and the invitation of each point of this prayer. He says, Our Father, your name be honored as holy. So Jesus opens prayer by naming God our Father and then declaring that his name is holy. Holy, to honor, uh, to honor God's name as holy means to recognize that it is set apart, higher than any other name. And we begin with, adoration in our prayer because by worship we enter into the true reality of God's identity and our own. He's then, he then says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here is where we release control and submit our lives to God's authority and the systems and the culture of his kingdom. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. A reminder that nothing is too big or too small to bring to God. This is an opportunity to pray for what we need and what we want today. Forgive us our debts or our sins as we have also forgiven those who have sinned against us or as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's an invitation to invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to find any area of sin in our lives. And then as we ask for forgiveness, we believe that we have received it. 
And then also we recognize any resentments that we carry towards others. And we extend grace to them as we have received grace from God. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask God to protect us and the world from evil. So this is a moment to pray for strength personally for any area where you experience temptation. Or where your, your life is experiencing evil, attack from outside or maybe even from within your own heart. And then also it's an opportunity for us to ask God to root out evil and injustice in the world around us or brokenness. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We close our prayer with a clear statement of honor just like we begin. Aware that God is the source of solution and the authority to whom we pray. The word, the word amen is a word which means let it be. So we say amen. And as we do in closing our prayer, we're choosing to release all that we have prayed into God's hands. So we begin our prayer with honor and recognition of relationship, and we end our prayer with an act of honor and trust. Trust in the relationship and trust in the God with whom we have relationship. So this is a little bit of what it looks like to pray through the Lord's Prayer. We pause at each line, and there's a number of different ways that you can do this. And um, even just this morning, I was practicing this again myself, where um, I would just pause at each line and pray something deeper after each line. There's another way that you can pray the Lord's Prayer, which would be to pray slowly out loud through the Lord's Prayer. And at any of the lines, it doesn't have to be all of them, but if one of them particularly feels like an invitation into deeper prayer, then that is where you pause and pray. And then when you're done, you move on through the rest of the prayer until you say amen and you are done praying. And so today what I would like us to do is to end our time together today actually praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, because portions of the Lord's Prayer are an invitation for you to confess sin, I'm not going to ask you to do this in groups because this is a conversation that you are having with God. But what we are going to do is I'm going to read each line of the Lord's Prayer, give you a couple of thoughts of instruction for you to pray, and then I'm just going to invite you to pray. And then when we're done, I'll move on to the next line. I promise you some of you will still be praying when I move on to the next line. You finish your thought with the Lord, and you can move along with us as you are able. Uh, the gift of the Lord's Prayer for you to do in your own time is that it can take five minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour or an hour, um, depending on how much you pray in each moment. I want, you, I want to invite you to put all of your things aside, to reflect to think deeply and to pray. You can pray silently. You can pray whispers to God as we pray. But we begin like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Would you take a moment in your own words to honor God's name as holy? This might be a, a place where you want to recognize the blessings that God has brought into your life life. You can begin by thanking God for calling us his children and being a good father, or you can speak to God about his holiness. Would you pray, inspired by this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy.
about friends outside of relationship with Jesus. Think about needs in our community or around the world. Professional, relational, or personal situations or even emotions that you are carrying and take a moment. For anywhere and everywhere that you know God's kingdom and love and peace is lacking, ask Jesus to come. today our daily bread. Pray for what you need and what you want today. Trust God to bring him your extraordinary requests and your ordinary ones, knowing that he treasures both equally. our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart, revealing any area of sin in your life. Ask God for forgiveness and receive his forgiveness. any resentment that you are holding, release those people from owing you, forgive them and ask the Holy Spirit to help you extend to them grace. into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Pray for strength against the temptations that you face. You can also name places where you recognize evil justice and sickness in the world and ask God to bring healing, peace, and justice. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Simply pray these words slowly, more than once if you need. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. invitation to you this week to to practice praying the Lord's Prayer with us every day for the next seven days until we meet again. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer every morning when I wake up. I'm going to pray
pray through the Lord's Prayer. You can pick a translation that you like. In fact, um, there are a couple of steps, I think, for you for how you can pray the Lord's Prayer this week. Um, We want to encourage you to find a translation that you like, set aside time each day to pray. Uh, Begin with moments of reflection. Slowly read the prayer out loud. Pause at any place where you need to pray deeper or pray deeper at every line. And end with a few more moments of silence. I always like to take a good deep breath. Say amen to close the time to submit all of my prayer to God. I really, really believe that God is inviting us into something and doing something in our church. Already in this week, I've heard stories of how as we're fasting and praying, God is opening doors for us, giving us insights and revelations and giving us greater peace and answers to questions that we're asking. And and I want to invite you very clearly again, come to this prayer, come to this gift of words that Jesus has given us over the next seven days, as often, as long as you want to. Can we close this moment today with one more time of prayer? God, we come before you today and we say thank you to you for the gift of prayer, the gift of opening the door to your throne room so that we could come to you with our requests and our needs and our praise and our gratitude and also our presence to enter into your presence, not to come so that we can get, but to come in prayer so that we can be with you. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for the teaching on prayer that you gave us. And thank you for your prayer that you framed out for us. Help us, Lord, as we pray not to try to impress others or to impress you. Not to pray words as empty scripted lines or out of religious obligation, but to pray a dialogue, to pray a conversation pray and trust. And as we pray, Lord, we believe that you hear our prayers. And we thank you, God, for the ways that you have already answered prayers and the promise that you will continue. Until we see the answer to all of our prayers and the fullness of the kingdom of heaven has come, we give our lives to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bless this church, your people, as we pray, as we continue to fast and unplug and examine our lives daily with you and pray through scripture in the practice of Lectio. Bless the rest of these days as we launch into this year in your presence. You be honored. You have your way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.